10,000 feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. Three oars rip. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys PhD, and our feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be talking about self-care. We got a request specifically from a, a listener, a couple listeners, to talk about self-care in grad school, uh, which we will focus on, but we'll also talk about it more generally, and it'll be great. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? In select places, Rachel. Duh. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast hub. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes, though, if you'd be so kind. And you can follow us on Instagram. We have a Facebook page where you can like us, Feminist Killjoys PhD. Or you can join our closed group community on Facebook, which is Feminist Killjoys Community dash WTF power exclamation point. And again, that's a closed group of engaged listeners. And we post links to stories that remind us of the podcast. We ask each other's questions. We talk about stuff going on in our lives that we think other Killjoys can relate to. So it's a cool spot. So join us there. And then we also have our Twitter account, FKJ underscore PhD. You can follow us. And then on Spotify, if you have Spotify, Rachel puts together a mixtape of all of our intro and outro songs. And so Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape is that. And if you have any extra dollars and want to support feminist media labors, you can donate to our Patreon account with a micro mini donation monthly monthly mini micro donation. And then also we have our website with the birdie that you can click on and leave us a one-time donation. And our website is feministkilljoyspodcast.com. Oh, and last but not least, our email address, fkj.phd at gmail.com. How are you doing, Rachel? What what up with you? Uh, I am a-okay uh, this week in this moment. Last night, I went to uh, an event. It's like a queer party that's music and live music and DJs um, called Break the Chains. And this person, Evan Greer, who I actually mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, the activist person that I had met in Chicago, who is really active uh, in Boston, rad- radical queer organizing, um, hosts this party. And so it was just a bunch of like weirdo, queerdo, punky folks who wanted to like dance and have a good time to get this punk rock cover band of Selena songs. What? Yeah, it was amazing. So they were punk (laughs) versions of Selena songs, and it was so incredible. They're called Amor Prohibido. Uh, I'm sorry if I did not say that, pronounce that correctly, because I am a gringo. I did try to learn Spanish a lot. I didn't take it in school, but I did language immersions in Guatemala and Ecuador, and I still don't know it very well. The dance party was super fun, and it made me feel... Like, I just really needed to be in space with, like, young, politically active queer people having a good time. Um, because the only time I've been in space with those folks recently has been at protests, which, you know, we're finding, like, community and joy in that in that sort of resistance. But it was nice to just be, like, dancing with great humans. And that felt great. So I was really grateful that I that I went there. That's the big stuff. Writing, grading, et cetera. What about you? I am similarly doing well. 
I had a fun weekend. My week was fine. Uh, Lots of running around at school per usual. So on Friday night, I actually stayed awake. I did not fall asleep at 6.30. And (laughs) me and my partner in crime, we went to see Get Out. I saw Get Out. I'll keep it Did you love it? I did. Are we going to discuss this during RWL instead of now? We can. We can save it for RWL. Okay. After that, we went to Honey, which is a nightclub in Minneapolis that often has queer nights like Flip Phone, which ended up being a queer night and other queer things. reason I bring that all up is that they had a 2000s dance party, which I learned I don't like music from the 2000s, like hip hop and pop. It wasn't a good era. Can you give some examples? It was just no, because it was all shitty hip hop that I didn't know. Like, okay. I honestly can't even tell you who the, who it was. It was like, it was when the music industry was like super sexually objectifying women, which is always, yeah. but like, if you watch that documentary Dream Worlds, a yeah. lot of the stuff is from the early 2000s. Right. And I was more interested in bright eyes and being sad and anyways. But then upon like reflection, I didn't, that shit was, it was all crap because it was basically just bubblegum pop. It was during the war and so it was just kind of just anyways uh so that was not fun but upstairs there was this guy so there's this restaurant called ginger hop upstairs and there was this dj who was mixing amazing songs from the 90s and he had music videos to go along with them the files that he had would automatically play the video so he wasn't mixing like two different two different media forms it was really awesome like that's awesome visually really compelling like if you didn't like the song or you weren't like it wasn't your jam you could just like watch the video and think oh that's what videos in the 90s look like but what was amazing is that his set was so much better but the white guys downstairs got to have the cover night with you know right the the big night and he's upstairs with a much more compelling dj set and right anyways yeah don't worry, I let him know. Oh, and if it wasn't clear, yes, he's African-American. And so they're upstairs and the, the white boys right. with their shitty 2000 music and no visuals. Right. Get okay. the main floor. All right. Rant over. Yeah. And oh, yeah. just a shout out to Honey as well. And I know that this happened because of a a bouncer situation that was not positive. But at Honey, I was happy to see that they had a sign up that said, this bathroom is trans friendly. There's two cl- stalls. And so, mm-hmm. That's uh, right. yeah, right. unfortunately, they had to do that because a bouncer was policing who was going into a bathroom, which at Honey makes no sense. Ugh. Yeah. It, and it doesn't make sense at Honey specifically because there's so many queer nights that mm-hmm, you would mm-hmm. think that any bouncer that would get hired there would at least be like told like what those nights are like. There's right. tons of gender nonconforming people. There's no way you could like police. And so obviously the queer community was upset. And so they're kind of like, yeah. Yay, trans bathroom at Honey, but also it's because you had a shitty bouncer who would police people's bathroom usage. And what else? Sorry, (laughs) had a busy weekend. One more important thing. Last but not least, we uh, we saw our podcast Boo John perform at the Black and Funny Improv Festival last night, and so he was performing with his troupe called Blackout, and it was hilarious one thing i will say that will not ruin anything for anybody is one of the best jokes of the night was somebody explaining that ben carson 
had fallen into the sunken place like that explains ben carson <laughs> yeah that's amazing so, that's a, <laughs> lol it's a get out reference for those of you who haven't seen it yet you'll that's it'll funny. make sense later please go see it but yeah so ben carson yeah. is in the sunken place it makes so much more sense now before yeah. blackout went on there was a youth troupe that went on and it was their first time doing mm, awesome yeah they were hilarious they oh, were super funny i would say that's like great they might have been more funny than blackout like because I think really yeah. I don't <laughs> know a, they just had better like they had a couple moments that just killed and I don't oh, know that's awesome I don't know if blackout had that but it's always yeah. good if you're gonna get showed up and you get shown up by kids like that's a yeah that's not a bad that's thing. right messy you know lover's night huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's not even six o'clock they can't even tell time I know I know I, I just feel like we've been sharing space here you know in, in our world yeah a lot and I and I love you you know like we shop together that sounds great. I'm glad we both had pretty decent weeks. It's kind of been a while. So before we get to our main topic on self-care, uh, we do have two things we have to talk about in our accountability corner. We really need a theme song for this. Accountability corner. Accountability corner. And we have to do harmony, but we're not going to try to do that live right now, but... No, we'll practice. Moving on to that section. The first thing is that we got uh, another iTunes review that was not so glowing from somebody called Dancing Witch. And I was sad because I like dancing and I like witches. So I'm sad that Dancing Dancing Witch is not here for this. Their comment is, quote, how are you still saying LGBT and acting like you have something to share on this? It's 2017. Where is the Q or the I? So this got posted after the episode that I did with uh, Logan, uh, Logan Casey, who discussed his research on LGBT politics and discussed. And we titled the show LGBT. We discussed it as LGBT, proceeded to have a conversation that did involve issues related to queer people and not explicitly intersex people, but certainly just non-binary and non-normative quote-unquote people in the world. I appreciate that comment and I thank you Dancing Witch for first taking the time to say that. I want to make clear that one of the confines of academia that sucks is that, how do I say this concisely, there's particularly in political science, which is what Logan's discipline is, he was studying specific responses in response to lesbian, gay, and transgender people. So technically we didn't even need to say the B, but it is just kind of uh, how those all letters go together. And so those, so in one way, of course, there's room to talk about how some of those L, LB or rather LGT people are queer identified, may or may not be intersex or non-binary or any other number of identities. But part of the limitations of research is that especially quantitative research, which is honestly one reason why I don't do quantitative research, is that you can't necessarily measure those things unless you like isolate, like Logan had like one identity category he was asking about in these surveys. So that's one reason that I didn't want to add letters erroneously just to try to look like I was being inclusive when actually we weren't really having a conversation about much more than lesbian, gay, and transgender people, truthfully. So that's sort of my my short response. I, I would hope that maybe Dancing Witch would maybe give us a shot because we certainly talk about queer issues a lot. We're queer identified people. Uh, we certainly know that 
there are many more letters. <laughs> so apologies for for potentially s- seeming a little bit limited in that. And and that's sort of all I have to say about that. Mel, you want to add anything? I know you weren't on the episode and you didn't title that episode. So you have no no fault. Well, the too long didn't read version of what you just said is Logan's research was only about lesbian, gay and trans people and people's responses to them. And so I think without listening to the episode, it would seem problematic. But upon listening, you would realize why that is. And I think maybe us just naming the episode lesbian, whatever responses to. Mm -hmm. But it's just tricky because then you say what the gay community or you say and then somebody's going to think, let me put it this way. This is why you don't just read the headlines. And I'm not saying that back to that person. But it seems based on their comment that they haven't been listening for a while, because if they did, they'd know that we're what you just said, queer identified. We talk about queer issues all the time. We critique ourselves all the time and where we don't, you know, do right. I think this is a case of just reading the headline. And um, yeah, there's not there. You can only convey so much in a headline. And what that comment does tell us is that we need to be more careful with our headlines, just like news organizations are. We need to think clearly about what our headlines convey. And that is why Rachel made me put Negro Hour in quotes last week. (laughs) It's true. It's true. So we are already holding ourselves accountable. Yes. Yes. So thanks again for the for the comment and for helping us think critically. And we'll, as Melody said, think about that in in future headlines. Second thing very quickly, I want to get to our main topic is Melody and I both independently posted on I posted on Instagram, Melody posted on Twitter news about uh, the the story that was going viral in certain circles of the internet about the missing black girls in DC. And Mel, do you want to uh, talk about how that is a little bit misleading information? Sure. So upon reflection on social media last night, I found out that there was a viral headline going around that said 12 DC girls go missing in 24 hours which is technically fake news because that is not true. But it was based on a general issue of black girls going missing in cities. Um, and this is an issue in Minneapolis as well. And often it is runaways or sex trafficking or other horrible things. And the comment that how could all these black girls go missing and most of us not even be aware of this. And the thing that was fake news is the large amount of girls going missing in a short amount of time. These girls are still missing, but they're not all some of the images that were being pushed around. So Sean King. So basically, he had written about this issue a while ago and somebody, you know, made it more sensational and said that this all happened in 24 hours. And he said some of those girls pictures are they're not even from D.C. So there was just a lot of exaggeration happening. And so it is not true that 12 girls have gone missing in D.C. in the last 24 hours. But what it what is true is that a lot of women and girls of color go missing and there's not a lot of attention paid to them. And a lot of it is because of news coverage that tends to cover missing white people more than missing people of color. And so we wanted to clarify that because we got we got duped by a fake headline. Um, and although the thing I tweeted out from Ebony magazine was focusing more on news coverage issues, but it was still based on this viral post about 
a rash of girls going missing very quickly. Yeah. So just wanted to be accountable about that. Uh, we also had somebody on Instagram uh, commented, I think this is fake news, but the topic is really important. And so mm-hmm. thank you to that person on the gram. Um, but we did end up deleting those posts and sort of just wanted to explain why. Accountability corner. Accountability corner. It's getting there. I mean. Yeah, we're, we'll get it. We'll get it. Good. All right. Shall we move on to our main topic? I would love to move on to our main topic, Rachel. Do you want to start talking? Self-care. Would you like to start talking about your relationship to self-care or shall I? I can start. So the premise of this episode is us sharing how we got to the point of self-care and what we do for self-care. Because as Rachel explained, there was a listener that wanted us to wax poetic about it. Is that correct, Rachel? That's correct. And again, this, this was specifically in relation to sort of keeping your head above water in grad school. But obviously, a lot of this stuff will apply for any any job at all. So yeah, especially yeah. social justice work, any burnout. Totally. Oh, which, which dovetails very nicely from last week's discussion with our boo. It's true. And we have touched on this about activist burnout and things like that. So some of this might be a little bit repeating things, but I think it's always valuable to to go back to this. So Mel, how how did you get to where you are in terms of your practice of self-care? Well, to tell you how I got to my practice, I would need to tell you how I needed to get to the practice of (laughs) self-care to begin with. And for some people, it it comes very easy. But for me, this is constant struggle to take care of myself. And it really stems from, as my therapist always says, but what about your mother? (laughs) Yes, yes, everything. But I mean, do you see any connections to your childhood? Yes, I do. I do, therapist. Thank you. So we joke about it because every time it's like, yes, it's because of my mother, who I love dearly. But I had a kind of a crazy childhood, uh, very chaotic household. I had three brothers who are younger than me. So I was a caretaker for them, which I'm proud to say that I was, but it what it taught me at a very early age is that my pri- priorities weren't number one. And so if I had any, any needs or wants, they were totally ignored. Just be, the concept of having four children in the house and also because I was often responsible for watching my brothers. And so there was no time for me to take care of myself. And so what that did, although I did get Uh, satisfaction from doing a good job at my work. Like that's where I found because I couldn't do self-care stuff as a kid, you know, basic stuff. I would feel good if I took care of my brothers well or I cleaned the house well. And so that transposed into getting a job at 14 so I could have my own money and just really seeking praise from my bosses. And it made me feel good to do a good job. And so that just obviously can spiral very quickly into becoming a workaholic. It's like, well, I'm just my point in life is to work a lot and get praise that way. And that's like how my self-confidence would grow. And so I just worked a ton. Like in college, I worked a ton. I was in school working 40 hours a week, burning out multiple times. But because you're young at that point, you can you bounce back so much more quicker. And also there's alcohol and just, you know, other ways to manage your burnout at that time. And also in college, everybody's burnt out. And so it doesn't seem weird. But then fast forward to graduate school. And grad school is perfect for me because I could just stay busy, busy, busy all the time, work all the time. In grad school, you can work all the time and still not be done with whatever work you need to do. And there's a lot of jobs like that. And grad school and being a professor are 
two job positions that really allow you to work constantly. And for me, Mm -hmm. that was a good feeling because I was just productive all the time. But then after prelims, I just like like just deflated and got really depressed because... Do you want to explain what prelims are really quick? I would for those love of to. our listeners who don't understand. Yeah, so basically I was doing my coursework, which is really intense, and then you basically test out of your coursework. That's the prelims. Um, and so you just show everything you've learned. And then they say, oh, you're, you've learned everything that you need to, and now your next step is to write your dissertation. The, the testing out happened in early summer, and then for the rest of the summer, I like didn't have any purpose. Like I didn't have to study. I didn't have much research to start on yet because nothing had been approved. And so I was just like, I had to sit with myself. And that makes me so uncomfortable when you spend your whole life running around working all the time. And so I was like forced to sit with myself because I didn't have a job. I was had this amazing funding that still seems like ludicrous to me that fund us us to be it just makes me uncomfortable but I didn't have to work and so I was like sitting at my apartment and that's when I watched Friday Night Lights like I just watched I binge watched (laughs) it you know just in a depressive state of like it was awful it was awful I remember going to uh well fuck the University of Minnesota and their therapy but I did go once um because I was like in crisis you know and she's like here's a list of positive traits which ones do you identify with? And I remember just like crying, being like, I can't do Like, are you kidding me? I'm like right. depressed. Ugh. I cannot, don't show me a list of positive traits. Like even today, yeah. I'd be like, no, I'm not going to pick out positive traits about myself. Like right. that makes me, so fuck the you and their therapy and their, it's all bullshit there, but personal opinion. So what that, sp- you know, to make a, a long, longer story short, than I'm trying to make it. I ended up having going to therapy and doing some other self-care stuff. And it was at the point of where I had to teach myself how to like take a bath for five minutes. Like that was mm-hmm. a celebration if I could just sit by myself for five minutes. So it was like a lot of unlearning of, and it's still stuff that I struggle with today. My therapist will say, sit down and watch a TV show. And like, I still can't do that. It's it, it mm. um, going to a movie Again, even the movies I go see are partially for my education, partially for teaching. I mean, I went and saw Get Out, which I absolutely loved, but it wasn't to just relax and zone out. It was for I wanted to know the racial critique and analyze it from that from that angle. And so that's where all my self-care came from. It was from a lifetime of anxiety and overwork. And I hit my peak at grad school. And in terms of my peak of burnout, but also like hitting what some addicts would call like hitting rock bottom and having to kind of scratch my way up to like normalcy, which I say that in scare quotes, but also really trying to practice self-care. And so if you're listening and you're like, I cannot do self-care, I'm with you. It is very difficult to do. <laughs> so, but yeah. I will say after Rachel shares her story, we will go through some ways that we do self-care because it's not always like yoga and getting a pedicure, you know? Right. So right. that's my story, Rachel. Um, yeah. What about you? How did you come to self-care? Thanks for asking, Mel. Like you, I had difficult childhood that I didn't necessarily realize was as difficult as it was until later reflection in therapy. And like you, I certainly had symptoms of sort of depression and anxiety, I think, as an undergraduate, but I really didn't realize it because exactly like you said, sort of everybody's in this state of 
chaos and there's so much stuff to distract you. And so it really didn't dawn on me that I might have those sorts of mental health issues uh, that I also, that were also sort of the roots of needing to practice self-care in a way that wasn't just, uh, working out, which had always been, uh, something that I, since about late middle school, early high school started it for pretty negative reasons. It was very much related to my eating disorder and, uh, body image. But that said, it was also technically very otherwise healthy thing that I did for myself for like at least an hour that gave me endorphins and like helped start my day and stuff. So I always had that for for a lot, a good part of my life and my teenage years and my early adult life. But grad school was a different thing. And uh, I think this conversation is really important in relation to grad school because a lot of jobs can be really depleting and hurt, harm your self-esteem. And so I'm not trying to say that grad school is any necessarily worse than, than some other jobs out there, but it is distinct in its ability to really deplete people. And, um, we see that over and over again with, with, you know, with our colleagues and with stories that we hear from, from other people in grad school. So before we get into tips, I think the biggest help to me in surviving grad school that helped me get to this place of, having the space to do self-care is also sort of the thing that was also kind of hard for me about grad school is that being first gen and having no idea what academia like was all about. I remember not even knowing what Ivy League meant until maybe one of my first years in grad school. Like I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. And I also remember being asked if I planned on teaching and I was like, what else would I do? Like, don't you go to school to become a professor and teach students? Like, I didn't understand research. I didn't like I knew that we would write papers and stuff. And like, they'd be published in journals, kind of, I kind of knew that. Um, And I liked writing, but that I was like, you become a professor and you teach students like it was so I was so naive about what this world was all about. And the prestige, I didn't know famous people's names, you know, quote, unquote, famous people in academia, there's academic superstars. And I don't mean Judith Butler, who's, you know, surpassed the famous outside of academia, I think, at least for for some people for some feminists, mm-hmm. as well. But I mean, like people who nobody fucking knows outside of your discipline, but people in your discipline are like obsessed with them. Like I didn't know those people. And so I think not having that weight of feeling like, oh my God, I need to impress this person. I need to get in this journal. I need to try to apply and get a job at this school, or I need to go to this school for grad school. Like I didn't, I was like, I want to go to grad school as any place that's not too far away from my home. Like I picked based on geography and yeah, the programs, like I looked at the programs too, but it wasn't about prestige. It wasn't about working with some scholar that I'd been like idolizing. Cause I didn't, know how to do that stuff. So I think, and what I think is so harmful about people who buy into that mentality of like academic superstardom and all of this stuff is the amount of pressure it puts on people to, to live up to these stupid expectations that mean literally nothing except to maybe a handful of people who buy into this fucked up elitist elitism. Right. Mm -hmm. So I remember being grateful because I like didn't feel that intense pressure. And then somehow I kind of got sucked into it. And I had a member of my committee who was probably one of the biggest deal members of my committee. Like she's an important scholar in, in certain circles and I adore her, but she wrote kind of a harsh comment on one of my drafts of a, of a prelim or something. And I like 
lost my shit. I don't know if I should do this. Like if this person thinks that I'm being formal enough or something. And I was like, Oh my God. And I lost it. And thankfully at, at the time, my, my partner at the time who was not in academia, uh, who had actually quit grad school to, to be a union organizer helped me remember like that. Yeah, this person is cool and good at their job, but who else do I value in the world? Whose opinion, what other opinions matter more? And it's like, mm. my mom hasn't, my mom has never not been proud of me. My mom's amazing. Like I've, I value, like who else do I value outside of academia? And it's like, well, and it's not even about what those people think of me, but it's like, why do you care so much about this professor's opinion of you when like you're so invested in, for example, activism and making the world a better place? And why do you care about some institutional academic thing when there's so much outside of academia that drives you and is important to you? And like being able to refocus and be like, academia, like, isn't the end all be all like, and I don't really give a fuck what people think of me. Like I need a job. I need to like support myself, but like, I don't need the pressure. Cause like, who the fuck cares what, who the fuck cares? I mean, once you're done with your dissertation, then you have to like talk to journal reviewers and it's all a crapshoot. Like if, is the journal reviewer in a bad mood, then maybe they're going to give you a shitty score. Are they in a great mood and you mention their name, then they're going to give you like a, like a, you know, revise and resubmit. It's all a fucking crapshoot. People who publish a ton and write books and are great at teaching don't get jobs. And people who have barely published anything get and never taught get amazing jobs. Like it's such a crapshoot. I care so much more about other things in the world than certain people's opinions of me in a system that is so inconsistent and not, I could just rant about all the flaws of academia. But the point of all that is, is that I allowed myself, I chose to not let the pressure of elitism mm -hmm. get to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the biggest help in allowing me space to like actually practice other forms of self-care. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. And I think that's something that I still struggle with, not so much in terms of thinking about my co-scholars and what they think of me, but in terms of where my position at is in academia, like I'm at a mm -hmm. community college, right? And mm -hmm. I absolutely love my job. I just I really love it. I love my students. I love the people I work with. I love the challenges that the school brings. But there is still like a quarter of my heart and brain that is saying, but don't you want to go to an R1? You've mm -hmm. published a book. You mm -hmm. should be applying to the University of Nebraska. You know? <laughs> right. You don't want to live there, but you should apply. You know, like there's still this pull. Even that though, awful little voice. That's exactly what she sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. it is it's a very powerful voice that we that we learned at our university at our R1. And it's a nice pressure. I mean, it's it's a it's supposed to be a compliment when people say, oh, community college. Why aren't you mm -hmm. at? Yeah. You know, are you going to keep applying for jobs, which is basically like, mm -hmm. are you going to apply to a university? And so it's a backwards compliment that also makes you feel like you haven't reached your potential at a community college, even though the way that we do academia, Rachel and I, we're like perfect fits for like the mm -hmm. not elitist jobs, you know, because yep. if we ended up at elitist jobs where some of our colleagues have gone and we're very proud of them. Well, A, we know that they're not having the best social life because they're stuck in random towns across the country. And mm -hmm. then also they have to publish. And so while 
I am for I'll just speak for myself. While I have all this room to work with the bike coalition and neighborhoods organizing for change and use my PhD skills for the community good, like to give it back to the community. It's because I don't have to publish. I mean, I'm still publishing here and there. Rachel and I, well, Rachel pushes me to publish um, with her specifically, but I'm still doing research. But it's not like I'm going to lose my job if I don't do research. And that's just that freedom that I have is so worth it. And thankfully, neither Rachel nor I are driven by the elitism that a lot of us, um, it's very hard to get out from under, even if we don't believe in it, that voice is still there. And (sighs) I'm not a violent person, but I just wish you would please, please just be (laughs) a little bit quieter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not trying to say that I never hear that voice either. But, you know, I would give and you know, I'm at a whatever private liberal arts college. So in in elitist framework, that's like a tiny step above what technically where Melody is at, but Melody has job security and I don't, which goes back to the idea of just what a fucking crapshoot all of this is. So can I just do a caveat that to that? I do have a job security technically because I have a union, but I am semester to I don't want to overplay my position here because I'm semester by semester contract. And so technically, Mm. at any point, my dean could say we're going to close down the mass comm department or we hired somebody else. I basically get verbal confirmation that that won't happen because I'm a Mm. really good teacher. And I think um, a lot of people would have my back if Mm -hmm. I would be let go. So I technically do not have job security. Right. I just have verbal, cultural, institutional support to stick around. So I just wanted to clarify that, that uh, community colleges doesn't necessarily equal job security, but I I do have a union, which I'm grateful for every day. And um, it is very rare to get an academic job in a union. And so that does make me feel a lot more secure than other people in my position. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that that clarification. So with all that said, Mel, what are some sort of more specific things that you do when you hear that voice or uh, just in general when you feel burnt out or anything else? So I think there's two things. There's things that I do that are self-care that are actively taking care of myself, but there's other things that I do that I consider self-care that keep me from getting to my overworked, over pro- overly productive state of mind. And so I've really learned to say no to things. It's very hard for me to say no. And usually that means I wait 24 hours and I encourage people to do this. So if somebody emails you and says, hey, can you review this journal article or can you be on this committee? Can you come to this meeting? There's going to be that drive to click reply and say, yes, just don't. And if in 24 hours you still feel like you want to do it, then do that. I get a lot of emails from social justice organizations asking for all sorts of volunteer things. And I just delete a lot of them because I tend to keep that I can I tend to not to delete them. And then it just I see my email box and it's like, look at Melody, you could be doing all of the social justice work and you're not. Mm -hmm. And so I just delete them because I'm already plugged in. I'm already doing a lot of volunteer work. I know where the help is needed. I do what I can. I cannot say yes to everything. So that's another Mm -hmm. thing, deleting emails. (laughs) And then also I have gotten better at excusing myself from things without feeling guilty. So if I have accidentally overcommitted myself for the week, I find ways to get out of it. So for example, on last Sunday, I was supposed to do some childcare for our surge chapter and I was feeling really burnt out. I needed to do some editing work for this podcast. I I just didn't have it in me to take care of children. And so I had arranged for other volunteers to come in 
to to help with the children. And then I just sat at the welcome desk and welcome people in. And so I kind of got myself out of that situation, which I was lucky for. And sometimes I just straight up say, I can't do it. I said mm-hmm. I could. I'm sorry. Something came up. And... Mm-hmm that's okay to do. And I just have learned to not feel so guilty about it. Because if I don't say no, or I don't excuse myself when I'm overly booked, then I burn out or I snap or I have a panic attack or something really bad happens. And so I've just learned it's better to minorly let somebody down, which it happens all the time. People say, I can't make it all the time. And you're still a human being. People still like you. And so that's been a big thing. Really quick for things that I just do myself. I like to dance and sing in my room, sometimes with a Mm -hmm. glass of wine. I am really good at Drake raps, I've learned. (laughs) Um, So I I do do performances for myself. Uh, (laughs) Taking baths, that's one thing that I, I really force myself to do. I try to sit down and read, like just after work. That is so difficult to do because it's like, but I could cook and I could do the dishes and I could do all this other like work stuff. I do body work. So I like to get massages. I do yoga. I like to just sit with my cats. Like they like to sit on my lap. And if that happens, I sometimes just put down what I'm doing and just sit there for five minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mr. Rogers uh, is a very big proponent of just sitting in silence for a little bit. Um, Mm. So sometimes that means turning (laughs) off my radio. I'd love to go to the coffee shop and not work, but like play cribbage with my brother or read a book or write letters. I love to write letters to people. I like to write thank you notes. That makes me feel good. I like to go out to eat. I like to weed in my garden. That feels good. It's good to get outside. I like to audio edit this podcast, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. And I like to Mm -hmm. clean the house because that, for whatever reason, I can't think of anything but editing or cleaning my house. It it's just uh it takes over my mind, which is good because my mind's always thinking about all the other things I could be doing. Mm-hmm. And also more clinically, I take medicine. So I have just it's been a struggle, but I have just taken my damn medicine and told my therapist I don't like it and she just says it's I know, but just try it. It'll you'll like it mm-hmm. and it's been helpful. And also just being more open and honest when I'm feeling anxious or need support. So instead yeah. of just trying to deal it with myself, I'll like send a text to Rachel or somebody else and just ask for a moment to talk, you know, and that just helps mm-hmm. a lot. So what about what about you? What are your like uh go to things? That was a great list and you've given me some ideas. I need to have more dance parties with myself, definitely. So I need to add that to my list. I don't do that enough. Can I just say I, what's part Yeah. Very important to the dance party. Do you have a good speaker system? It's not it's not terrible. I can get Spotify on my TV speakers, which Logan has fancy ones. I can plug my phone into like an external speaker. So I yeah, it's better than my laptop. Which is what I would normally go to. You're saying that's like a key part. Yeah, because it's got to be loud. Where like if you sing, if you're singing, you better be able to have the volume up loud enough where like your voice almost doesn't, you know, because you need it to be loud. Yeah, that's a good specific aspect of that tip. It's very important. Okay, good to know. Okay. I think uh, such a big thing to note about everything you're saying is that you're finding ways to not be working. And for people who want to constantly be working, as we both described, you need something that's going to like fulfill you and satisfy you in a way that can distract you enough from doing that. So like yours, one of the first things that I think I practiced and started in grad school trying to do is like allowing myself, for example, to stop working at night, which is not the norm. Like especially Mel, the first year that we lived together, I mean, (sighs) you know, you would you would go to the coffee shop at night and I would usually write papers in my room at night because at Mm -hmm. that time I didn't I didn't go to coffee shops at that time. So that was our evenings. I mean, we would go to class all day, work when we weren't in class. And then I would usually take a yoga class and then come home and work some more. And particularly when I uh, started living with my 
former partner in Minnesota, I was like, no, I'm going to like stop working at night. We're going to eat dinner. We're going to like watch. It was the first time I was watching The Wire was back then. So, you know, sit down and watch The Wire or whatever. And that was that. And I was just going to have evenings like normal human beings have evenings. So that's important. Um, It's really hard for me to give myself a full day off still. But occasionally I do try to have a weekend where I literally don't do any work on the weekend. And that's been easier, easier and easier as I'm surrounded by adults who give who have weekends, you know, mm-hmm. and not just grad students who all work on the weekend. As I mentioned, workout, working out and doing yoga um, are things that I thankfully have a much healthier relationship to, but th- that I still love doing every day, sort of no matter what. It's very grounding for me. It's me time. I take it kind of no matter what. And I, and I love it. Part of that routine when I get home from the studio or wherever I'm at, I'll, I clean. Melody also knows this. I have a cleaning routine um, and I like it very much. I stay present. It's good. I like reading horoscopes and uh, tarot websites and all of those things that help me ground into myself as an Aquarius, as, as somebody who's existing within wherever the planets are. Um, that feels really grounding to me. Like you said, saying no. And I think my sort of specific tip about the saying no thing, uh, and I'll bring this back to grad school, is I remember feeling like there would be, you know, Minnesota in particular. I mean, lots of schools like Minnesota are one places get amazing speakers. Like, so mm-hmm. these superstar academics that we're talking about, there'd be a talk by somebody incredible, like every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and fitting in a three, you know, a one to three hour part of your afternoon when you have so much to do is difficult. And I remember I would there would be days that I was like, if I don't go to this speaker's talk, I might a like not learn something that I need to learn that I will need for my dissertation or B, I'll miss an opportunity to meet that person. And maybe that person could get me a job or like want me to be part of a book they're editing or like whatever. And I would make up these stories in my head that these were like life or death decisions. And I would freak out if I was like, I just don't have time to go to this talk, or I just don't have time to submit to the CFP. But what if the CFP like got me a job? CFP is a call for papers um, for journals or books or conferences. Um, And I would just make these things so huge, have so much weight on them. And I think, (laughs) again, as I have being on the job market for five years and realizing that people get jobs, that have way less publications than me, et cetera. Uh, I'm like, wow, those things aren't life or death. Or, you know, even if they could make your career, you're never going to know that. And just let that mm-hmm. ships, you know, let that be like you could have submitted to that journal and gotten an article published or not. Or you could have submitted to it, spent hours and hours and hours on a on an article and it not get accepted at all, which happens a lot. (laughs) And so just like make peace with that, like making practicing acceptance about that stuff is just so hard, but so necessary. If you're going to say no, you have to also be able to follow up and practice acceptance about the fact that you said no. And that translates to sort of my life post-grad school where in relation to, you know, whatever activist events, social events, we've talked about this on the podcast before, breathing through that FOMO, realizing it's okay. Um, there's going to be more opportunities. This isn't the last time something like this will come up. Everything's okay. Very hard to practice for me. And then finally, I think just really tuning in and being self-reflective about what energizes you and what depletes you. For me, I, I have like, we've talked about introvert and extrovert tendencies and I really need alone time, but I really need social time too. And particularly I need social time with people in activist spaces or community spaces of like, like like-minded people. I get a lot of some kind of social time, like with some of my yoga friends who are fantastic, but 
we're not going to like necessarily with a couple exceptions, you know who you are. A couple of you listen with a couple of exceptions. Most of my yoga friends aren't going to like have a potluck dinner and talk about like how to and sit down and write letters to prisoners or something like that's not kind of that space. Whereas I have other friends here who might be down for that collective social friend time space. That's also at least politically engaged is so important to me in terms of feeling connected to community and connected to parts of my identity that are that really need to be like nourished in order for me to feel like a happy and fulfilled and person who contributes to the world in the way I want to contribute to the world. Like I have a purpose. I need that stuff. And if I go a few weeks without doing anything like social with like that kind of group of people, I feel depressed. And so figure that out. Mm. Like I didn't, I didn't know that because sometimes I was like, Oh, I just want to stay in. I love staying in. I'm going to stay in. I'm going to get some work done, et cetera. And then I would be like, why am I so depressed? I'm like, well, I haven't seen like a friend in three weeks and it's horrible. So figuring that out, you know, just being reflective. And maybe that's not it for you. Maybe you're like, no, I need more alone time. Like I can't be around people that much. And that's great too. But figuring out that balance, I think is important. Yeah. And just two things that I would say after what you just shared is one, sometimes you don't realize, like I'm an introvert. And so I went to John's blackout performance yesterday by myself, which was great for me. And I said hi to him for a couple minutes and then just sat by myself, which was great. Um, But when I was going home, I just felt like the feeling that I felt was like nourished. Like it was like, that was just, it was an hour. You know, I took an hour Mm -hmm. out of my day to go see some people be funny and just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, just be in community with people. It just felt really Mm -hmm. good. And I kind of had to push myself out the door, right? Because it's still hard for me. I, I have a hard time socializing, but it was just just what I needed. And I didn't even realize it, you know, but then also for people who are, I wanted to also just kind of maybe repeat this if you didn't pick it up with my story is sometimes when you realize that you need self care, it's like really fucking sad. It's just sad. And it's hard. Mm -hmm. Like I was thinking back, Rachel, to our time together, how different it could have been if we would have sat down and watched TV together. Yeah, you know, yeah, but we didn't. And it wasn't because we didn't like each other. It was because we were so consumed with work. Yeah. We would have gotten done with our damn program <laughs> right. either way. Yeah. But we were yeah. so caught up in grad school that seriously, listeners are like probably surprised by that. Like we, we did not spend a lot of time together at no. the house. We were no. always working and I yeah. always had to go to coffee shops for concentration and it didn't help our relationship at all. Mm. It really mm-hmm. like at the end, I think really hurt it because like yeah. we were just always in a state of like, like <laughs> right. always. <laughs> Right. You know, and <laughs> then true. so if yeah. we have conflict, then the conflict starts at because that's where our energy level is at. <laughs> exactly. You exactly. Know? So true. Yep. So it's so sometimes, you know, when upon reflection, when you're like, fuck, I need a lot of self-care, like it might feel sad. But just like, please push that through that sadness and uncomfortableness. Just try one thing. If that's sitting yeah. quietly for one minute, that is an amazing thing to do. 30 seconds start with and then just bump it up because I know sometimes people read these like memoirs or all the fucking self-care that people do. You never know. Like that's not right. That's after years of work. You know, all the things I do, that's after years of work. So if you can just do one small thing a day, that's great. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, ba- baby absolutely. steps as as Bob says. And what about Bob? Do you ever see What About Bob? Oh, my God. That's one of my favorite movies. See, I we- love that movie. We are we movie. are truly sisters because that it's is also true. one of my favorite movies. It, like that child. era of the '90s, Wayne's World. What about Bob? Like that <sighs> era of movies was so good. Cockadoodle so do, Bob. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, I'd, I'd have to rewatch that with like an like critical disabilities 
studies lens, though, because I bet there is some bad ableist stuff in there. Although Bob's the hero, no, despite his mental illness. You, you know? know why I feel OK bringing it up is because I was just reading a zine about anxiety written by a Ph.D. feminist radical person who would mm-hmm. like who swears in the zine, you know, like she's down and yeah. she suggests watching What About Bob? As, huh, a, okay. as a movie about, you know, she doesn't do the Bechdel test or race yeah. r- analysis, but in terms of, you know, if you need to relate to somebody. Yeah, you do. You definitely do. Bob is the hero. You want you right, empathize with true. him. And, and I'm sure you, there's always something problematic that you and I could right. pick out. But I think in general. Right. OK, that's good to know. I'd also really be interested in rewatching uh, Drop Dead Fred. Did you see that movie? No. When you were a kid? No. That's a real I recommend that movie a lot. But I'm curious what maybe critical disability studies would say about that movie because uh, Phoebe Cates has an imaginary friend and like takes medicine for it. It's it's really it's really good. But I, I can't really remember enough to know how, you know, ultimately what the bottom line about her mental health is. But anyway, if anybody has some comments on that, let us know on our Facebook group or tweet at us. We'd love to hear from you at FKJ underscore PhD hashtag FKJ PhD. Yes, exactly. Oh, wait, can I say something really funny? Or yes. Okay. <laughs> or a hashtag joke. I don't think he meant to be funny, but John's co-host, and I can't remember his name last night, he kept saying, and then tweet, you know, make sure to tweet out some pictures. And our hashtag is hashtag BFAIFA2017. And don't ask me what it is again. Like he came up <laughs> with the most complicated hashtag that I couldn't even fucking remember. And he was like, and then don't ask me about it again. That is a very fucking long hashtag for Twitter. <laughs> right. Like, right. It's... how about BF17, black and funny? Like, you, right. BFAIF17. I fucked it up. Oh, 2017. And I fucked it up. I tweeted out the wrong fucking hashtag. Right. They still found oh. me. But I was like, don't get mad at me because you made up a <laughs> stupid hashtag. And I know John's listening. So yeah. <laughs> that hashtag was way too long. And I am offended. I am offended. Uh, that's like free consultation advice from somebody who studies media, including social media, and knows about social marketing. And yes, I will help you with your social media, John, if you need help. Perfect. I will always help. All right. Okay. Moving Let's, on. Uh, we've been talking a lot. Let's wrap up with our RWLs of the week. What are yours? I'm reading The Spokesman Recorder which is our weekly black newspaper because my partner is the best and he got us a subscription. So once a week we get the black newspaper and it's amazing because for example, they have, uh, they refuse to call the target center, the target center because they don't want to give advertising to target. So they just call it the Minnesota Lynx and Timberwolves arena. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's great. They don't care. It's amazing. Um, So I've been reading that, which has been obviously amazing. I've been uh, listening to, I tried to listen to the new Drake. I, my students got me to download the Spotify app. Yeah. The free app sucks. It's trash. Oh, yeah. It's so trash. And you know what? It's one thing to just like give me some ads, you know, or like, yeah. shuffle the, okay, I'm down with shuffling the album and giving me ads. Totally yeah. expected. And also because I can't buy the CD. That would be what I would do. Yeah. But you can't. Right. But no, they like sh- give me three songs and then they start playing Britney Spears. Yeah. That sucks. So you made the free thing is basically like you make it trash on purpose. So then people pay. But so, buy it. Yeah. Anyways, that's just a mini rant from somebody who grew up in the 90s. So <laughs> I've been trying to listen to some new Drake. I do like it. It seems like more of his like mainstream pop albums, which I yeah like more than his angry albums. Uh, yeah. But again, you know, I've, I do still find him 
okay, decent, but Chance really has taken over my heart as a more creative and engaging rapper. So my heart is still with you, but I'm sorry. And I uh, watched Get Out on Friday, and I yeah. really hope that a lot more people go see it because it is amazing and so much to unpack there. What is your favorite moment? My favorite moment, I mean, a lot of people I think would say the milk scene, but honestly, that I mean, I, I, it was spoiled for me, so I knew that I, I accidentally listened to a podcast that kind of spoiled it, so I, I kind of knew that was coming. So not that. I just love the main character's, like, f- he's facial has, like, he's ex- such facial expression. He's such an expressive actor. Such like, I love the way, like, even just the way he would, like, move his mouth and, like, change his, where his, oh where his eyes were looking. Like, so I was just, like, good. mesmerized by him. So I just really such an impressive, impressive performance in these subtle facial expressions. So I, I just loved watching that. We oh, I know we don't really have time to unpack more. There's so much to say about it. I, it's going to be like kind of maybe old news in a, in the next couple of weeks, but maybe we can come back to it and talk about it more. Yeah, we'll in the do, next episode. Okay. I, I well, what about you? But real quick, what was your favorite moment? I don't have a moment. I have a question for you. OK, when you watched the movie in a theater, was it a quiet theater or did people react? It was more quiet. We saw a day, daytime show on a weekday because I was scared to go at night. So it was not crowded, but people reacted. Thankfully, it was kind of a split. I think there were like three white couples and two black couples in the theater. Okay. So are you talking about like white people laughing at bad parts? <sighs> no, not at all. I meant like I was in the back row. It was a full theater and I was in the back row and I was like, are you kidding me? And then at one point I was like, fuck you, Jordan Peele, because he at the um, at certain points, <laughs> it's a horror film, obviously. Yeah. So people should know that going in. But towards the beginning, he scares you for no fucking reason. Like he uses music. The very first scene? Not the very first scene, but like oh. the deer, the deer thing. Yes. like. There's no point yeah. to that. There's no fucking point except to get you amped up for no reason. That wasn't That's horror. That's horror movies. I know. But later yeah. on, the shit's really scary. But yeah. like so there's a few parts where I was like, "Are you kidding me?" and like nobody else was reacting and I'm like <laughs> But then towards the end, because I, I later on when it gets uh, the solution or the like the ending is happening, I was like, whatever, this is too crazy. And I was like, go, go, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm like cheering during certain right. points. And right. then by the end, by the end, try not to spoil things. The road, you know, where the big yes. reveal, the crowd cheered. They all clapped. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. I would like yep. to say it's it's because of me, but I uh, <laughs> really prefer to re- respond to movies, especially like that where it's a horror film. Right. Like you really need to have the community with you on that one, and right. like, we need to be in this together, totally. folks. Because Robert was about to fucking leave the theater. I had to be like, really? baby, look for the helpers. That's what Mr. Rogers says, baby. Oh, there's always he was a helper. Just, he was stressed out and anxious yeah, about like, it. There's a helper. Oh. Don't worry. Oh. Don't worry. There's helpers. Somebody is going to help. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, poor Robert. So that's why you got to have a, you got to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what you get for not fucking. He's like, I never like to watch previews because I just don't want to know. I was like, well, yeah. See, you in this case, yourself a little you bit. probably yeah. should have known that it was a yeah. horror film because he yeah. started looking at me towards the beginning. I was like, yeah, it's not funny. <laughs> right. I mean, he's going to fuck with us. He's laughing at us, but like it's not a funny right. film. Right, He's right. He's like, oh man, I thought it was going to be like Kim Peel. Like, no. <laughs> no. Nope, it's not a comedy. Yeah. Yep. Although it is quite funny at the end. It is. 
What about you, RWLing? So I wanted to share one thing that I read a couple days ago. I was prepping a yoga class and I'm, I was doing a bunch of throat openers to stimulate your throat chakra, which is all about like communication. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> Stimulating the throat, tra- throat, throat um, chakra in helps with your jerk. Um, you love this stuff sometimes. I, sometimes I'm stroking um, my, my neck. I'm going <laughs> to... Opening up my collarbone. The throat chakra is helpful in when you need to communicate. And I've been trying to write and I've been trying to, you know, be truthful about where I'm going to go next and all these things. So anyway, I oftentimes begin and end with a quote. The quote that immediately came to mind was speak your truth, even if your voice shakes, which I didn't know if it was attributed to anybody. It's just something I've heard in like activist spaces. I've seen it graffitied on things. So I looked up speak your truth, even if your voice shakes. And turns out this uh, woman named Maggie Kuhn first said it. And Maggie Kuhn, get this, was a uh, an self-identified old lady who founded an organization called the Gray Panthers that fought for citizen senior citizen justice and other forms of liberation. So she was like this social justice warrior who fought for being better to old people in our society, and they called themselves the Gray Panthers. And she was the f- uh, person who that quote is attributed to. So I was reading about Maggie Kuhn because she was badass. She also said uh, why she never got married. They were like, why did you never get married? This was like right before she died she was like by sheer luck (laughs) (laughs) yes that's my lady yeah it was amazing so look her up she's rad af i've been watching how-to videos for wix and squarespace because i'm trying to start a website because it's looking more and more likely that i will not have an academic job next fall do squarespace and i might do Squarespace. don't do no but here's the thing no, come on, listen, though. Okay, I mean, fine. Squarespace, I'm sold because of all the podcasts all right. we listen to that tell us to do Squarespace, and I want to use the discount code and feel would be, it looks better. Family. It looks really good, but it's harder to use than Wix. What about WordPress? Why are you, what's up with? That feels even more old-fashioned to me and doesn't look as good. I don't know. Well, okay. viewers weigh in or listeners weigh in. What do you think I should do? I know absolutely anyway, nothing. I just know Wix is kind of like uh, Website 101. But maybe they've gotten better. It's really user-friendly, and some of the designs look really clean. So I don't know. I'm still playing around with it. I am listening to the new Drake. I I don't know if I've talked about this before, but uh, one reason I pay for Spotify is because I get it uh, as it's exempted on my taxes because I have to have it for yoga teaching, which is very rad. So I get to write that off on my taxes, which is cool. So I do pay for Spotify and new Drake. I really am enjoying. You like it? Okay. Also want to give a shout out to Lacey Davis's brand new spanking podcast, <gasps> Fems to the Front. Uh, fems, yeah, fems to, to the, the front. front, fems to the front. Hey, hey. <laughs> Does she have a theme song yet? Lacey, I didn't know if you want to pay so Melody for that theme song. Yeah, so listen to that. I've only been able to listen to the first episode so far, but it's great. She has interviews with amazing WTFs, and uh, I'm super stoked for her. So listen to that. That's all I got. Um, Hello to Smash Everything, too. I was just listening to that podcast last night, putting away the cool. dishes. WTF. Power. Bye. Bye. Nice harmony.
Hold on, fuck that. Fuck that shit. Hold on. I got to start this motherfucking record over again. Wait a minute. Fuck that shit. Still on this motherfucking record. I'm gonna play this motherfucker for y'all. Hey, y'all get some more drinks going on. I sound a whole lot better. Soul of addiction for now 